Thank you folks for the privilege of being with you once again. Maybe in the time we've spent together, and as you, you've heard me preach in many different passages of scripture, maybe you've sensed that through my preaching there are certain things keep coming through again and again. I have sensed that in a way as I kind of recall some of the things that I have been sharing with you. And really, I would say that the, the main emphasis in what my preaching seems to be in these days is to encourage believers to really, really move on with God, to grow spiritually. Because I've been a pastor long enough to see many believers who kind of stagnated a bit, and well, some did backslide seriously, but others didn't do that, but they still did kind of grind to a halt in terms of making spiritual progress in their lives. But just as we desire for our children and our grandchildren that they should develop and mature and grow in all sorts of ways and in understanding and strength and wisdom and in ability to do things and so on, so God is concerned that we who are privileged to be his real children should get to know him better as we saw in Paul's prayer last week and therefore should be more able to be involved in the things that God is doing in the world. Now you don't need me to tell you that in these days we're living in a world which is very badly messed up. There are all sorts of terrible things happening throughout the earth. The evil one is behind evil things, make no mistake. And the only people who can stand up against him, the only people who can stop him, the only people who can hinder him, are those who belong to Jesus. Those who are new people in Jesus Christ. Because we and we alone have been given authority over all the power of the enemy. But to exercise our authority safely, safely, we must be living the way God tells us to live. Otherwise we can be in trouble. We can be damaged. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth and your Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he is with us to help us to understand everything that he inspired the writers of scripture to write for our benefit. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me now as I speak and help all of us as we seek to understand what you are saying to us and to absorb it into our thinking and our behavior and our actions from day to day. In Jesus' name. The last week we were looking at Paul's prayer for the Christians at Ephesus in Turkey, as we found it in Ephesians chapter 1. Well, this man, Paul, did not only travel extensively and also spent time in prison uh, and was shipwrecked and had an enormous ministry in all directions to a vast number of people. Nevertheless, he obviously had a very businesslike prayer life. I wonder how a business like my prayer life and your prayer life really are. Well, I thank God my business life and my prayer life is much more what it should be now in my more senior years. When I was younger, even as a pastor, well, of course I prayed. But I didn't pray in the way I pray now. I didn't pray at the level I pray now. So I want to encourage you, particularly in the area of prayer, to really Ask the Lord to help you to go on and go on and go on and become more effective agents of his kingdom. You may have watched part of the 
celebrations in London yesterday, remembrance from the end of the Japanese war and these old veterans, some of them being interviewed. And there were three old men who were interviewed and at one point they said, I think it was the Chindits actually, they said, you know, when we were there, we had to be fierce. And I thought, yes, you did. Because your enemy was fierce. And our enemy is fierce. And if anything, we need more and more Christians to be involved in what is called spiritual warfare, battling against the powers of darkness, limiting what they do. You and I can limit what Satan does in Milton Ocampsey and in Moody'sburn, believe me, we can, through prayer. Well, we're looking this morning at another of Paul's prayers, also in Ephesians chapter 3. So let's, let's just read a bit of scripture first before we come to the passage we're going to look at. Um, chapter 3 of Ephesians verse 7 he says to these Christians I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power although I am less than the least of all God's people this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches in Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, it is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. As we said last week, Paul is unlike us in that he didn't just tell other believers he was praying for them, he told them what he was praying for them and so that they knew in a sense what to expect in answer to Paul's prayers. Let's think first of all about Paul's decision and it very simply is his decision to, to pray and go on praying. It's very easy to pray a one-off prayer for somebody. I, I used to find as a hospital chaplain that uh, when Catholic patients would ask me to pray for them and I would say, we'll just do it now, they would be astonished because they weren't expecting that. They thought I would go home and, and get down on my knees at home and pray for them once I got home. But we did it right there and then, at the bedside. Now, that's one thing, just to pray one off and that's fine. We do that from time to time in lots of situations. But there's a need for certain ongoing prayer, on and on and on, praying for the same people, the same things very often, which you might think can become a bit tedious, but if we're aware 
that this is something that God has called us to do and it will enable us to do and it becomes part of our Christian ministry so Paul's decision in relation to these folk who had become Christians in Ephesus which was a very pagan city his decision was to pray for them, perhaps more than he prayed for some other other groups and individuals, to pray for them day after day, perhaps on and on and on, and to pray to their Father. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now Jewish men did not normally kneel to pray. They prayed standing up. And on those occasions we read about kneeling to pray, among these Jewish people and Jewish people who became Christians, it means that they were really, really in earnest. They were really desperate. They were pleading with God when they got down on their knees to do so. It's obvious, it's the obvious to say that their Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father is both wealthy and willing. We come across the word riches again and again in relation to God. He is not short of anything. He is a very wealthy father. And he is willing to release his wealth to his children. That we may use that wealth, not just money, but our whole gifting, our resources, our personalities, the gifts God has given us. To use all these things in fulfilling his purpose for our lives. You saw... uh, that in, in, no it's here in, in chapter 2 verse 2, verse 18 sorry of chapter 2 Paul says that the whole trinity God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are involved in Christian praying how do we know? because he says this through him, he's talking about Jesus through him we both, Jew and Gentile all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one spirit So really every time you and I begin to pray, be it silently or audibly, be it alone or with others, the whole of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, are actually involved in what we're doing. We're partnering with our triune God. One time the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, Luke 11 verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, Father. And in Romans 8, he has spelled out there, and we've looked at it before, what is involved and implied in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He says there, uh, By him, no, you did not receive a spirit that makes you again to fear, slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of sonship, or the spirit of adoption. And by him, says Paul, not our own, on our own, but by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit controls our minds, the more he will lead us to address God as Father. And I have a question mark, particularly over Christian leaders who can pray and pray and pray from the pulpit of the platform and hardly ever call God Father. What's going on in their lives? When the Holy Spirit is controlling our minds, he leads us to pray to God as Father. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And therefore it's natural for us to address him as Father. And you see, what Paul is concerned to do 
is to pray for these people and to pray to their father and his father and to pray for their future. Their future. Dale Moody was once asked how many folk got saved in this particular meeting he'd been speaking at the night before and he said, oh, I think there were 12. Oh, he said there were, there were, there were uh, two children and, uh, and ten older folks. Oh, oh, 12. Oh. Well, he said that means that most of the older folks haven't maybe much time left to serve the Lord. But these two children, he said, they've got practically all their lives to serve the Lord. They've got a great future up there in front of them. So our young people, be they school age or university age or whatever, uh, they have a greater future time-wise than most of us have left. And therefore, it's good that we should encourage them to be involved from an early age in what God is calling them to do. I know it's a little bit overquoted perhaps, but this verse in Jeremiah 29 is a verse that has encouraged and challenged so many Christians, especially in recent years, where God's people, the Jewish people, were in exile in Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah is led to write a letter to them to challenge them to get on living their lives and live normally as much as they can and so forth. And he says this, a message from God. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me. You will pray. You will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. To you, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all our, your heart. And that's where our praying often becomes unstuck. We're tired. We don't feel like spending much time in prayer. And we say, well, I suppose I better pray. And we pray. But it's not really wholehearted praying. Well, I'm confessing what's been true of me in the past anyway. Some of our praying has been a bit half-hearted. But God says, if you want to really get hold of me and get my attention and get my answers, you seek me with all your heart. Yes. So Paul's decision was to pray for these precious people who have become Christians in Ephesus in Turkey. And his desire for them is not at all surprising because his desire for them, as he expressed in the earlier chapter, chapter 1, really was exactly the same. His desire for them was that they would have power to live God's way throughout their life. And this power would be brought by the Spirit. In chapter 1, we saw Paul describing the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of revelation. The Spirit who gives us the wisdom we need and who gives us all the revelation we'll ever have from God, about God, His Son, His Spirit, and our purpose, His purpose for our lives. It is brought by the Spirit. And of course the Spirit will increase our focus on Jesus. And Jesus our Lord has told us what to expect the Holy Spirit to do for us. As he farewelled his disciples and recorded in John 14 to 16, he said there, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, in the scripture, we have a great deal of what Jesus has said. It's reported in scripture. And the Holy Spirit, as we read the scriptures, which I hope we all do every day, 
Yes, I'm serious. Every day. Let God speak into our lives every day. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of things that Jesus has said that we've picked up with already and other things we haven't seen or understood yet. And that's important for our lives. And in chapter 16, Jesus further elaborates on that and he says that the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come and he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. A little couplet says, Holy Spirit, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Don't open your Bible and just start reading. Use a plan, that's great, that's fine. But don't try to understand God's Word without God's help. It takes only seconds to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit before we attempt to read God's Word. And of course, the Holy Spirit will not only increase our focus on Jesus, because the Holy Spirit doesn't glorify himself, he glorifies the Father, glorifies Jesus, and he will also inform our faith in Jesus. In other words, he will encourage us to exercise faith in Jesus, that faith, that means obedience, as well as trusting. Remember what happened on the very first occasion Jesus performed a public miracle. A wedding feast was taking place in Cana, John chapter 2, and Jesus and his disciples were invited, and so was Jesus' mother. And embarrassment came to the hosts of that wedding reception because the wine supply began to fail. Highly embarrassing, they hadn't calculated how druthy their guests were. And the wine supply was failing. And Mary's, Mary, the mother of Jesus, knowing what was happening, took the servants aside and pointed to her son and said, Do whatever he tells you. I used to preach that message at weddings I conducted. Do whatever he tells you. That is priceless advice. Do what Jesus tells you. Our parents tried to persuade us to do what they told us. Our teachers tried to persuade us to do what they told us. But the most important situation of all is our relationship with Jesus and doing what he tells us to do. And of course that includes not doing what he tells us not to do. So Paul's desire was power for these believers in Ephesus. Power brought by the Spirit. But in chapter 3 we learn that this power is blended, or to be blended, with love. Paul writes them and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And what was the outcome of that to be? Well, it's here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Surely you say, from the moment I become a Christian, from the moment I open up my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome him in, him in and surrender to his Lordship in my life, surely he's there forever after. Oh yes he is. But hang on a minute. What does Paul say here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. My daughter is very fussy as to how people speak the English language. 
She tells me occasionally that it's spoken in ways that are not true to this. It's not correct English. And of course I have to agree with her. She knows what she's talking about. And she says, you know, you, you ask someone, where do you, where, where do you live? And that's, that's where, where they live, that's their permanent address. And they say, oh, I'm staying at wherever. And she says, that's not good English. Because staying refers just to a kind of holiday visit, you know, just staying for a few days, staying for a week or two. But it's where you live that we want to know. And this is Jesus not just being in our life somewhere, but being completely <coughs> at home in our life. I think I've done more confessing to, of my sins than to you folks and anybody else. Um, and there were times, and sadly many times in my life, well, I know very well. I mean, in my life as a Christian, my life even as a pastor, I know very well Jesus was not very happy. He was in my life, but he wasn't feeling particularly at home because of the things I was thinking, the things I was saying, the things I was, I was doing, the way I was grieving his spirit. Oh, dear, dear, dear. We want Jesus to feel at home in our life. Because, you see, it makes sense to believe that the more he feels at home in our life, the more he will influence our life, the more he will share our life, the more he will enrich our life. We want him to be at home in our lives, don't we? I hope so. Yes. Yes. So Paul continues. This is why I'm asking that the Holy Spirit will bless you with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's only the Holy Spirit, you see, who can enable us to live the quality of Christian life that will not grieve the Holy Spirit, that will enable Jesus to feel really at home in our lives. Paul continues, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp a wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Love and power need to be kept in balance. Power can be ruthless, it can be dangerous, if it's not in a sense tempered by love. And love can be a bit weak and flabby if it's not strengthened by power. But these two make a wonderful blend. And here Paul is emphasizing that our spiritual development is, involves fellowship with other people. The person who thinks the way to grow spiritually is to go and be a monk in some cave somewhere and live all on your own and have no human contact, they've got it completely wrong. Because fellowship is an important ingredient in our spiritual life and development. So it's together with all the saints, together with our fellow believers, that we're to grasp how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know, and that means to experience this love that surpasses knowledge. Oh, what does Paul say elsewhere about the importance of love? Well, at the very end of 1 Corinthians, in the last chapter, he comes out with some very, very short, snappy instructions and he says to these Christians in Corinth, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. And then he adds this, do everything in love. That's pretty plain talking. And that means that all our 
speech, all our speaking and all our actions should be motivated and controlled to some extent by love. We're very careless sometimes, at least I am, about the things we say to people and the way we treat some people. Over the years, I guess, I've treated some people pretty badly because what I was doing or saying was not really motivated by love for the person. But Christians are people who have experienced this magnificent, excellent, supernatural love of God. And it's not just something we experience temporarily. He pours it into us and he wants to pour it through us. So everything we do should be done in love. Oh yes. Well, how are we to do this? Well, they can do it by the help of the Holy Spirit. In Philemon, a little one chapter book of the Bible we don't refer to very often. In Philemon verse 7, he's writing to this husband and wife and son, and he says particularly to the husband of this family, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. Is there someone the Lord is bringing to your mind right now? And the Lord wants you to go to that person to write them, phone them, or speak to them, visit them, whatever, and express love for them. They're sad, they're, they're, they're discouraged. And yet you, like this man to whom Paul wrote, could express your love for them in a way that would give them great joy and encouragement. Isn't it satisfying? Isn't it wonderful to sense that God has given us just the right guidance at the right time to be in the right place to speak to the right person? And what we say to them, what we may give them, brings them joy and brings them encouragement. The devil seeks to rob us of our joy. He seeks to take away our, dis our encouragements. He seeks to discourage us again and again. And it's wonderful when Christians minister to one another encouragement and joy through love. This experience of interaction with one another is all about fellowship. And of course, Lorraine read earlier on from 1 John chapter 1. And there it is. There is John saying to his Christian readers, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Over the years, especially if people are not Christians, they become expert at hiding the real self from other people. And they, don't, they don't want people to see their ugly side. They don't want to see people to see the nasty things in their lives. So they pretend. They try to put on a show. Hmm? Yes? Yes, it's true. And even Christians can do a little bit of this if they're not careful. We try to impress people. Hmm. And we let them see the good parts of our life and we hide the not-so-good ones. But walking in the light sometimes means opening up 
to a fellow Christian. Oh, but they might reject me if I do that. Yes, they might, it's possible. There's a certain risks we sometimes have to take. But sometimes God tells us to actually confess to a fellow Christian. You know, I'm ashamed to be telling you this, but I believe God wants me to tell this to you so that you can pray for me with greater understanding. You see, that is taught, actually, by James in James chapter 5, where he says what some Christians find rather upsetting. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Oh, confess your sin to each other? Well, be wise, be sensible, be guarded, don't be reckless and foolish. Don't confess things that are too private to confess to people. But things that sometimes should be confessed to people can open the way for prayer and prayer that leads to healing. Oh, so this whole business becomes more down to earth. It could actually affect somebody's health. Hmm, interesting. Paul speaks to the, writes to the Christians of Philippi. And right at the beginning of the letter he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership or fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He appreciated fellowship. This man understood how valuable and encouraging fellowship really is. Now, fellowship, some people <laughs> think that they're having kind of quality fellowship. If they eat buns from the same plate and drink tea from the same teapot. Because fellowship means sharing in something with somebody. Of course, yeah, well, they're right enough. It's, that's what the word fellowship means. But Christian fellowship's got to have a spiritual input to it. Yes, I was a bit reticent, especially the Scots perhaps, about speaking to other Christians about things that are particularly special and personal to us. But fellowship can enrich us no end. Yes, this strength, this power that Paul is praying for these Ephesian Christians will be brought by the Spirit and it should be blended with love. What will it result in? It'll result in fullness. Yes? Because he goes on to say, it builds up, it likes, likes crescendo, he likes building up just like music does, some music writers do sometimes. That you may know, together with all the saints, to grasp a wide and long and high and deep is to know the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, <coughs> that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. A few verses earlier, he's been talking about Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, feeling at home in your life and my life. Oh, I wanted to feel at home in my life, don't you? And here he's saying that the same thing in a different kind of way. That God wants us to be filled with the maximum of God filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now this word fullness is a very positive word, it's a very attractive word. You remember in John chapter 1, as John begins to write about our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. 
literally we've all received grace upon grace from the fullness of his grace the fullness of his blessing and in the same letter to the same people in Ephesus in chapter 5 we know these words very well where Paul says do not get drunk on wine but instead be filled with the spirit we sometimes describe people as being either half full or half empty people some people have a very negative attitude in life and for them the glass is only ever half full no it's only half empty but to others and I like to align myself with them if the glass is half filled at all it's half full, it's not empty, it's half full and instead of concentrating on the empty half which doesn't have anything in it you concentrate on the full half because there's something worth having in it we need to learn as Christians to be not to go empty thinking of negative things and being pulled down by our thoughts of negative things there's so much in life that is positive look for the positive things and dwell on them that's fullness you know a friend of mine, a fellow preacher I don't think I told you this before he, he's based in London but he was up in Scotland on several, several occasions and he had heard of um, a preacher there in Greenock whose name escapes me for the minute but he was well known in road books and so on and he had heard amazing things about this man and said I want to go and visit this man so he went to the bookshop in Greenock the Sellers Memorial bookshop in Greenock and uh, Hugh, Hugh Black was that his name? Hugh Black uh, came out and spoke with him and then offered to pray for him and uh, he went through the small hall in the back and uh, Hugh Black prayed for my friend and after Hugh had prayed for him he looked at him and he said the Lord's only giving me one word for you fullness and dear Roger who was a big tall strong man dissolved in tears he said that's what the Lord is saying to me everywhere I go everywhere I go and people pray for me this is what they're getting fullness, fullness, fullness I don't know about you I've known what it was like as a Christian to be far less than filled with the Spirit of God not experiencing fullness struggling my way through the Christian life and finding this is not very funny it's hard going but oh my when our lives really line up with God's intention for them and we live in proper obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and we seek daily to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit life becomes really good and positive and worthwhile yes that's what I want for you folks if you haven't already got it God has given it to me that's why I keep preaching on it yes fullness so finally we've had Paul's decision that was to pray for them we've had Paul's desire that was power for them to live the kind of quality of Christian life God intends and makes available and finally at the end of the chapter we have Paul's declaration of praise now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen so he breaks out as he has done already at the beginning of the letter in ascribing praise to God and 
he describes God as a God with amazing ability. A book was once written many years ago, which was entitled, Your God is Too Small. And that, I'm afraid, is true for many Christians today. Many Christians today have a, a vision of God, a perception of God, an understanding of God, which has sadly shrunk God down to a lesser being than he actually is. Our God is not too small. Our God has amazing ability. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. You are connected, if you're a Christian, you are connected to the most amazing power supply in the universe. It's not very pleasant when the power is cut, as it was in my house for a few minutes one day recently. I thought, oh dear, if this lava is bad enough in the summer, but if it lasts in the winter, <laughs> you get a power cut, you can't see. But we're never going to have a power cut spiritually because God is able, God is able to keep the power supply going year after year. Second Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes to these Corinthian Christians and says this. He says, God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. I think it was Derek Prince who wrote in one of his books that he and his wife, before they went to sleep at night, as they went to bed, they declared this verse, they declared this verse out loud, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound to every good work. You see, abundance and fullness, in a sense, are two different words for the same thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to this younger pastor, and he says this, this is probably the last letter that Paul ever wrote. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him, for that day. Now, he was referring, obviously, to his own life. He was referring to himself. He had entrusted himself to the Lord Jesus Christ and was totally convinced that Jesus was able to guard what he had committed to him for the final day. But you know what? Some of you may remember uh, Pastor of Adelaide Place, George Young? Maybe not. Before that, he was a missionary in China, and he and his wife and children were there when the Japanese invaded. And George and his wife saw their three children being taken prisoner by the Japanese. They managed to escape the parents. But George said he found peace. They found peace. The parents found peace in that verse. They committed their children, not just themselves, but they committed their children, entrusted their children, to the keeping of the Lord Jesus and they got them all back eventually there's a thought Paul's declaration of praise is a declaration to a God with amazing ability and a God who always 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 deserves all the glory and with this we finish at the end of Romans chapter 11 
And this is what Paul says in that passage. He said, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The most wonderful thing that you or I is capable of doing is to bring glory to the God who loved us sent his son to the cross of Calvary to shed his blood for us that we might be saved from our sin and become children of God and might live our lives looking into an eternity that grows brighter more attractive more glorious the older you get and the nearer you get to it let's pray Father, we thank you that you've prepared such good things for those who love you. You've revealed them to us by your Spirit. We're sorry, Father, that so often we have disappointed you. We've come short of your desires and expectations for us. We have not relied on the help you held out to us. Forgive us. And give us even from this moment onwards a new desire, a strong desire to live by the Spirit of God every day and to allow your supernatural power to flow not only into our lives influencing our thoughts and words and actions but to flow through our lives to touch and bless those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.